this exact moment, you're being asked to slow down when everything out there is telling you to pick up the pace. You have tons of stuff you need to be doing. <laughs> I think every year we go through this where Reverend Larry and or myself talk about stopping long enough to remember what this season is about and contrary to everything that we might be bombarded with, it is not about getting more stuff. It's not. I was reminded this morning as I was sitting there before I came up to speak and that, I don't know if you call it a furnace, what you call it, that very loud big thing right there. <clears throat> okay, it's a furnace suspended by I don't know what. Anyway, I realized, as I have before, but then I forget, that I don't notice after a while when, you know, it kicks on and it's incredible, it seems incredibly loud. And then after a while, I don't notice it anymore until it kicks off. And it's like, oh. And I think life is like that sometimes, um, that we don't notice. And I think that we can't notice unless and until we slow down long enough to notice. So that's what this month is about, is talking about slowing down long enough to notice, long enough to notice the life that we are living long enough to notice those around us who are living their lives, and long enough to experience the connection. So last week I spoke about slowing down, <clears throat> and it was pretty fun because I got to introduce a, a term that I think very few, if any, of you were even familiar with called GIF, G-I-F or G-I-F-F. Um, which is some sort of graphic animation thing. I had the technical term for it, but it went like that, and I didn't retain it. But what I did retain was that it was explained. There's an art show in uh, New York that's very controversial because of the type of show that it is, and the person talking about it on the radio show I was listening to described it, GIF, as still life that moves. Which, of course is impossible, right? Still life that moves. The idea behind it is that we are only fascinated by something for four or five seconds. And I'm sorry to say, I thought, how sad is that? Really? I spoke last week, I think, about the Mona Lisa. I can't imagine standing in front of the Mona Lisa and just being bored because she didn't move. What? Or do that gangsta, what's that gangsta, gangdom style thing. I'm looking at Star because I assume she's going to know. <laughs> it's, supposed to be, it's supposed to be the highest selling, highest selling uh, record, CD, whatever right now, and it's just this loopy little cowboy weird thing, but it's, it's, it's moving. It's, 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 a, it's a moving object and moving people all the time because we're only fascinated for four or five seconds. So I spoke last night about living, last night, last Sunday about living intentionally, living an intentional life, which means being present for it, which means slowing down long enough to notice. And he used the term, which I loved, 100% present means 100% alive. We talked about multitasking, which uh, for decades I had prided myself on because Ms. Magazine told me in the 70s that 
In order to be a real woman, that's what you had to do. And I'm here to tell you it's impossible. It doesn't work. Not only that, it means that you're never 100% present for anything. Never. It's impossible. You can't do it. Now, it doesn't mean that you only do one thing for your entire life. It just means that when you're doing one thing, you're focused on that one thing until you move to the next thing. And I think, I don't think I'm the only one. I've had to retrain myself to do that. You've seen, watch little kids when they're playing with stuff and they're just completely absorbed. And a lot of times it's a plastic, it's a cardboard box or something, you know, that the thing that you thought they would love came in. But instead, they play with the, with the container. But that, where they're completely absent. I was watching Zane upstairs earlier. He was completely absorbed in a game that he was playing all by himself that he invented. I have no idea what it was. But he was completely 100% present for it. And that's what we're talking about. Because he wasn't missing a thing. He was missing nothing. He was right there for it. So last week, I went through the first three points. And I'm going to very quickly, but not all at the same time, go through the next three. <laughs> and number four is uh, finding balance. And Eswaran talked about the human personality as consisting of three elements that are in constant interplay all the time. Energy, inertia, and harmony. And he talked about the, the idea that one of these tends to dominate at any given moment. And he also talked about the idea that our challenge is not so much a lack of energy, but not directing that energy, not controlling it, sort of letting it run us. As an example, I think it is pretty much a given that nearly all of us, if not all of us, we have tons of energy for the stuff we want to do, don't we? But if it's something we think is yucky, we're just so tired. <laughs> we just can't seem to get to it. And that's what he's talking about is controlled energy, you know, directed energy. And living in balance means just that. It means directing it. It means understanding that we're, we're, we're the deciders, as someone said years ago. We decide. We get to choose. We really do. We choose. We can choose on purpose or we can choose unconsciously, but we are choosing. <clears throat> My youngest daughter said to me the other day that someone was irritating her. I said, no, he's not. Yes, he is. If you wouldn't do this, this, and this, I said, he's, he's just doing what he's doing. You're irritable. <laughs> but you know what I mean? And I think Buddha said that. It's like nobody's doing it. It's, nobody, no thing is anything other than exactly what it is. We interpret. That's, that's our stuff. She didn't understand what I was talking about, but... But you do, right? It's like it's it's sort of like saying, you know, how's your day going? Oh, it's just crap. It's a crappy day. No, it's not. It's Sunday. <laughs> Yay! It's today. It's that's all it is. It's what we decide. It is. We decide. So I think that's a pretty powerful thing to know, don't you? That we can decide. We do decide all the time. So living in balance with all this inertia and this um, whatever it was, energy and, and harmony, is directing those and making sure that one is not more, uh, more running the show than the other one. And this also means living in freedom because we are not directed by energy. Energy is directed by us to where we want it to be. 
which means that we're free, right? Which brings us to number five, living in freedom, wherein he says, it's a very Buddhist thing, to enjoy anything we can't be attached to it. To enjoy anything we can't be attached to it. Which in some ways I think goes against everything I have ever thought or believed. (laughs) Because, of course, if you enjoy it, you want to keep it, right? I mean, don't you? Or if you enjoyed it, I've had people in classes say, well, I had this awesome meditation experience. That's what I really want. I really want to have that again. And so they're completely dissatisfied until they get that again, which may or may not, well, actually they can't ever get that exact thing again because that exact moment's gone, right? So we can't enjoy something that we are trying to grab onto. And then this is the really yucky one. I don't like this one at all. It's a twofer, you call it, a twofold thing. First of all, likes and dislikes are nothing more than stuck attention. We confuse them with right and wrong. Oh, that's not true, right? (laughs) So I've been reading this book. And I'm sitting in the waiting room at Emmanuel um, Physical Therapy. My husband's having physical therapy. And I'm sitting in this waiting room reading this book about likes and dislikes of stuck attention. And we confuse them with right and wrong and so on and being fully present. And there's this really annoying woman in the waiting room. (laughs) Well, she was. She was sitting right about where Jim and Kathy are sitting right now away from me. She had very crinkly clothes. They're very crinkly. (laughs) I think it might have been because it had been raining outside. She had rain, but they're very crinkly. She moved a great deal in these crinkly clothes, and she was chewing gum and cracking, snapping in the gum. She was a very annoying person. (laughs) It's obvious, right? And I'm I'm sitting there making, observing, telling myself over and over again how annoying she is. She, on the other hand, is fine. I am getting more and more irritated by her because she's irritating. And I'm reading this book. (laughs) And I was like, oh, crap. (laughs) And I was watching myself just spin seriously out of control thank god it was all invisible but it was i'm just i'm just saying uh, seriously and then after a while i got so absorbed in this and so fascinated and everything and several minutes later i thought oh i wonder when she left i didn't even notice that she hadn't left she was still there she was still there and when i got out of what I was doing to observe, she was still engaged in the same behavior that she had been engaged in previously. Which now I didn't, uh, not only did I not find it irritating, I didn't even notice. It was a miracle. (laughs) And then it just gets worse. Wherein I read this line where he says, Unfortunately, what we like is easily confused 
with what is best for everyone. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I felt like he was just busting me all over the place. And what we like is easily confused with what is best for everyone. <laughs> Let's be clear here. We make stuff up. We're really good at it. We make stuff up, and we believe that it's true. Not only that, but I've created this movie with this script, with these precise actions that are right and precise actions that are wrong, and I get really annoyed when it seems like you have not read the material. (laughs) You can imagine how much fun being in a relationship with someone like this is if this is how she's acting all the time or how she acted for decades, which, obviously, she did. (laughs) Everything we take on leaves an impression in consciousness, and the sum total of consciousness is who we are. Now, that is true. We become what we believe, as far as our conscious awareness and our actions. That is not the truth of who we are, but that's how we're going to be showing up. Buddha is quoted as saying that if an experience calms our mind, slows us down, makes us more likely to be compassionate and kind, then that experience is beneficial. If an experience agitates, speeds up, excites, it is not beneficial. It is to be avoided. Here's what. The experience is not to be avoided, it's to be not created in the first place. Because we are the ones doing this, don't, please hear me here, seriously, regardless of what is going on out there, and I'm not saying everybody's operating in a perfectly stellar way, that's not up to me to judge, (laughs) but I'm just saying that regardless of what you do, regardless of what is going on out there, it is my response to it. It is my treatment of it. It is my judgment of it, my discernment of it, however you want to say it. That's what creates my experience. So this day is what I make it. This life is what I make it. And the idea behind this material as far as I'm concerned, is to get us to slow down enough to get that. Because we're in such a darn rush, we are missing the whole thing. And especially this time of year. This time of year is about love. It's about rebirth. It's not about stuff. And people just freak out. People camp in, in, in uh, Best Buy parking lots for days. Literally, seriously, I'm not even kidding. Days. So they can get the first whatever the heck. Um, It is. People have harmed each other to get to, I mean, what is, I mean, really? You know that bumper stick, what would Jesus do? (laughs) I think he'd be doing that whole olive tree thing, you know, where he'd get very upset. Or the money changer temple thing or any of those stories, yeah. Anyway, so beneficial. We make it up. Any of y'all here ever had to call AT&T? <laughs> I've regarded this as the bane of my existence for a decade. I put it off because it's going to take forever. 
I'm going to be on the phone for at least 45 minutes. I have to pack a lunch. They're so rude. They're so incompetent. They're doing everything wrong, and it's going to take me a really long time, and I'm really unhappy about it. You can imagine how that goes every time, can't you? <laughs> so what I did, unbeknownst to me, I arrived at this, and then I read this in the book, and I was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. If you know a transaction is going to take a little longer, plan accordingly. That is not what I had been doing. I was objecting, and no one gave a rip. No one cared. AT&T was going to do exactly what AT&T did, and some very nice people, by the way. I mean, seriously. But it wasn't going the way I wanted it to go. Tough. I mean, seriously, too bad. So what I realized I had been doing the past couple of times is I planned accordingly. So I'd go up to my office. I'd get out a couple of bank wrecks maybe and some other bills. I wanted to go, whatever. And I would put it on speaker and I'd dial AT&T and I'd go through their deal. And I'd just be opening stuff and I'd be doing this and I'd be doing that. Well, not only did I accomplish what I set out to do, I didn't get upset. I didn't get pissy. And I got a whole bunch of stuff done in the meantime. Now, did AT&T change what they were doing or how they were doing it? No. I did. And it made all the difference in the world. And I didn't feel like a victim. Because I was learning to do this. I love this. I was learning to wear my likes and my dislikes more loosely. Because our likes and dislikes are not us. And my likes and dislikes are certainly not you. And in fact, I just made them up anyway. They don't mean really much of anything. And they can change easily. Which brings me to step number six, which is taking time for relationships. Which is going to require putting others first, which is definitely going to require wearing our likes and dislikes loosely. <laughs> definitely. It means being 100% present for the other person, and I love this part. He said as far as disagreements goes, he doesn't really understand why there's any dialogue required whatsoever. All we need is flashcards. Everybody needs one flashcard. And on one side it says I'm right, and the other side says there you're wrong. Not I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry, you don't understand this game, do you? <laughs> No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm right, you're wrong. And when you think about it, isn't that true? Because it's opinions, it's beliefs, it's likes, it's dislikes. Zane says he likes orange juice, he doesn't like oranges right now. Well, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with oranges. It just means that right now he doesn't like them. That's all. The same could be said about everything, right? And it certainly doesn't mean it's right or it's wrong. It amazes me how easily you all get that confused. <clears throat> so, all of this brings us to point number seven, which is a higher image. And so, who are we really? And I think this is a good question to uh, contemplate this time of year. I'm going to read this quote from this book here, which I hope you all have by now, because it really is fun. Because it's not like he's saying anything y'all haven't heard before, but he just has a different perspective on it, and he uses a lot of personal stories, and it's, it's just really fun and accessible. He says, many people would agree intellectually that the human being is more than physical. But if you look at the way we behave, 
at work, at play, in the shopping center, at home, you will see what our real self-image is. We don't have a very high opinion of the human being. In fact, we have such a low image that books often become bestsellers by telling us what a low type we are. Countless movies and plays become popular by reaffirming this idea that we are no more than physical, only slightly removed from our evolutionary forebears in the animal kingdom. We can find lots of evidence um, to indicate that we are horribly flawed, that we are shallow, that we are inadequate, that we are too old, we're too thin, we're too fat, we don't have enough stuff, we don't drive the right car, all that. And we are bombarded constantly with that message, that we are physical beings and we are physically flawed in every way. And that is, as an aside, one of the reasons why it is so important to take classes like Nancy was talking about. Because we need to strike a balance between what is the truth of us and what we are being told. And it is very lopsided right now. The minute we walk out this door, we're being just literally bombarded with all kinds of stuff. And this, this truth, this love, this divinity that we can sometimes feel needs to be nurtured and cared for. That's why we do this. It takes practice. So who are we? Who are we really? Because our environment, our planet right now, is the outcome, the outpicturing of what we think we need as human beings. Every aspect of our lives reflects what it is to be human. And going by that, human means physical. Human means the body. And so, of course, if we view ourselves as physical beings, then we're going to try to satisfy our physical needs with stuff that is physical. Well, with stuff. And that is never going to work because that's not who we are. And that is why no matter how much stuff we have, we can still feel empty inside because it isn't about the stuff. We are more than this. This is just a container for this planet, this time, this consciousness, this now. So who are we? Ernest Holmes, a founder of Science of Mind, would say that we are eternal life expressing in, through, and as us. Now that does not mean we are God. It means that we are expressions of it. Rather like saying a drop in the ocean is the ocean, it isn't. It's an aspect of it. Eknath Eswaran puts it this way. He says, you are an exalted creature with a spark of the divine within you that nothing you do can extinguish. You have been granted life in order to give because it is in giving that we receive. And we need to be reminded of that because there's so much other information we're getting that is not that. That focuses on the spacesuit. He has some, some tips, some reminders 
um, daily reminders, one might call them, and most of you have heard all of this before, although there's one that I thought sounded kind of fun, but he's talking about spiritual practice. He's talking about deliberately setting aside some time each day to slow down, to even stop, to allow yourself the room to remember. And it can start with just five minutes, because what's the hurry? I mean, really, what's the rush here? One thing he talks about doing is he talks about mantras, and there are differing views about that. Some people say have a syllable or two that does mean means absolutely nothing that you just repeat. Other people say have one that is meaningful to you. You all decide. It doesn't matter. It's whatever works, you know, whatever gets you there. He also suggests that if you find yourself agitated about something, that you take that mantra and you hit the road with it, and you go on a 15-minute really fast walk, repeating it over and over again. And he says, when you come out of that, you will feel differently than when you went in. So to me, all of this, I'm, and by all of this, I mean all of this business of ministry and congregation and classes and prayer and meditation and reading and groups, all of this is about courting the experience of what we say we believe or what we want to believe or what we've been taught to believe, however you want to say it. So that reading something in a book um, can spark a remembering. But what we're after here, I think, what I'm after and what I want for everyone here is the experience of it, the feeling of it, even if it's just for a second at first, that sense that you are more than this, that there is something in you that is more than this, and that it's beautiful and that it's perfect. In a rush, we cannot love. In a rush, we cannot love. So what if we just slow down? What would happen if we just decided to slow down? Because the truth of us is this higher image of divinity, this spark. That is the truth of us. That's the eternal, forever truth of us that place within every single being that has never been touched or harmed in any way, like an eternal flame or something. Because the truth of us is not our physicality. This is a spacesuit. And thinking of our bodies as us would be like thinking of uh, me as my Toyota Prius. I'm the driver. It's just a car, contrary to what TV ads tell you, it's just a car. It means nothing other than getting us from point A to point B or C. Eswaran says, if we think of ourselves as physical beings, we may never get even a glimpse of the being inside. We may never even get a glimpse of the truth of who we are. And every time I get a glimpse of the truth of me, then I can hold up a mirror so that you can get a glimpse of the truth of you. Because there is only one of us. We are not each our own separate fragment of existence. 
Each one of us lives in everyone. We are immortal beings. Just like the air, all of life. There is something eternal about all of life, and we are that. And that's our higher image. So I invite us to slow down, to take a breath, and remember that. Let us pray. There is only one life. That life is God. That life is perfect. That life is my life now. That perfection, that love, that truth is all that exists in, through, and as everything that's ever been or will ever be. There is no place anywhere where that is not. And so I know that means me. I know the same energy, the same consciousness, the same whatever we choose to call it that creates planets and galaxies and universes creates me. All of that lives in me as me. I can't alter that in any way. It's just simply the truth of who and what I am. Because I know this for myself, I know it for everyone. Because there's only one life, that life is God, that life is perfect. That means every single person in this room is a perfect emanation of that one. And so I speak this word for and about everyone in the sanctuary this morning, affirming and knowing a willingness on the part of everyone to spend just a little bit of time remembering, taking a breath, an exhale, stopping, slowing down, whatever it takes, to remember that there is something within each and every one of us that is perfect, that is precious, that is brilliant, that is lovable, that is love itself. We come in with that and we leave with that. I affirm a willingness while we're here to express that, knowing that love changes everything. And I'm grateful to know this. I'm grateful to know the truth about myself, to know the truth about everyone here, that God is all there is, and that's all we need to know. And knowing that I release this word, knowing it's the truth, I trust it, I let it be, and if you can agree with this, please answer by saying, and so it is. Thank you.